right. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to Are You There, God? It's me. I'm queer. It has been a long time since I have brought you a new episode, and I am very sorry about that. Um, life just kind of gets in the way sometimes. Life gets busy, and and things that you're passionate about sometimes end up falling to the wayside. But I'm really, really happy to be back, and this is going to be a killer um, welcoming back episode. I am here with my friend Taryn Porter. Taryn, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm so excited about this. Thank you for Me being too. on the show. Absolutely. So, um, tell our listeners a little bit about you. What your, you know, what your uh, pronouns are, what your gender identity is, and where you're located. So, my name's Taryn. I'm 30 years old. I currently reside in Lebanon, Tennessee. My preferred pronouns are they, them, but I identify as gender fluid. And so there are some days I feel a little more masculine, some days a little more feminine. And so I'm very fluid with my pronouns as well. They, them just seems to be more comfortable and, and fits with the, the general theme of my life. Awesome. I'm Thank also you. queer. Yes. And you're queer. Sorry. Left that part out. Got it. So um, what does what does that exactly mean to you when you say that you're queer? My identity has grown throughout the years. For me, because I identify as genderqueer, gender fluid, the term lesbian didn't really fit how I see myself. And so I was listening to a podcast one day, actually, and somebody said, you know, I'm taking the word back. I'm identifying as queer and that's a powerful thing and it's okay to be queer. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that defined me like that that was the easiest way that I could define who I was when it comes to integrating gender identity with sexual identity and and kind of combining those two things you know when I was a kid like the term queer was really negative like had a really negative connotation so I really like that there are people today that are that are taking that power back just like you mentioned you know taking that word back and and defining themselves as that because um gender is such a complicated spectrum and uh people don't really understand it. And, and I'm really glad that there are people like you out there now that are that are kind of teaching other people how to how to see past the norm, you know, like this just just beyond male and female. And, mm -hmm. you know, how did you kind of navigate telling your friends and family about your pronouns if, if you have at all? Maybe you haven't yet, but was was that hard for them? And, and was it hard for you to adjust as well? So my, my family, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this much later, is not very accepting of the LGBTQ plus community. And so they are not aware of my preferred pronouns or, or gender identity. But my friends are quite aware and they've been really, really good about uh, using those preferred pronouns. I actually had my first conversation at work with some coworkers the other day about preferred pronouns. And they were asking really good questions. They just wanted to learn and they, they had never felt that they had been in a comfortable enough place or felt comfortable enough with someone to ask these questions about pronouns and, and what's okay and what's not okay and how they navigate that as a an ally, but a, a straight cis ally, you know, and, and how that works for them. And so I've, I've really come to terms in the past few years with being true to who I am and actually taking my place as uh, a gender fluid person. And so I think a lot of that had to do with having people in my life that love me and care about me, but also working for companies that encourage and, and provide a safe place for associates to be their true authentic selves every single day at work. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I'm I'm really fortunate that I also work for a company like that. And speaking of work, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do for work. Sure thing. I am an environmental health and safety professional. The easiest way I can describe that is that I uh, help keep the workforce safe by abiding by local, state, and federal regulations such as OSHA or the Environmental Protection Agency, etc. That is not where I saw myself growing up. Didn't even know this was a profession, um, but I've, I've actually really enjoyed my time here. I currently work in pet food manufacturing, so we make um, at my specific site, dog food, dry dog food, which was quite different because prior to that, I was in auto manufacturing. So very different processes and, and just general rules and regulations. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you get to work, do you get to see dogs and work with dogs every day or, or not so much? So we are, if you are an office staff, you can bring your dogs in. Uh, like my desk has a dog gate up. So I take my dog Hagrid to work typically at least once every couple of weeks. He's everybody's favorite now. Um, but a co-worker just recently rescued a, a great Pyrenees puppy and she brings him in all the time. Oh, how cute. Oh, I get cuddles all the time. I, I oh. get so excited. It really makes the work day better. If you're having a stressful day and you walk into the office and see a dog, how can you not be happy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dogs are the best. I love being able to work from home now permanently mm-hmm. because my my little man is always like snuggling on my feet or just giving me kisses and providing that moral support. We, we call it a uh, corgal support because because we're cheese balls. But um, yeah, as, as a corgi, he offers lo- plenty of corgal support. <laughs> so <laughs> so now that we are kind of, you know, past the part of getting to know you present day, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you grew up. So like who was in your house growing up? Who were you raised by? And uh, what religion were you raised as? So I was actually born and raised in Southern West Virginia. So Mingo and Wayne County specifically, very much a a coal country type of vibe. I was raised by my mother and father and I had one younger brother, but we grew up very, very close with both sides of, of the family. I lived right behind my grandmother and grandfather across the creek from my aunts and uncles you know, 10 minutes up the road from other aunts and uncles. And so we were very involved every holiday, every birthday, uh, really included a quite a large gathering of people. Um, the question of what, what religion was I raised in is a little more <laughs> complicated because it was a little bit of everything. So my grandmother was an ordained minister in the Pentecostal church, and that's where I spent my younger years. But when I stayed with uh, my aunt, who I was very, very close with, Uh, She attended a Methodist church, so I also grew up there. And then when I got to be in, I would say, seventh and eighth grade, I was able to choose where I went to church. And one of the reasons I chose the church I did was because they had more kids my age there, and it felt a little more comfortable, but that was a a Southern United Baptist. Gotcha. Had had a little bit of everything. Yeah, a little, little bit of flavor in there in your uh in your Sunday mornings for sure it was kind of like that for me as well but my mom raised me on her own it was just the two of us growing up and we would just bounce around to different types of churches all the time so I'm not really sure what I grew up as either other than Christian exactly yeah so um were there any kind of important practices that your that your mother and father specifically did or any kind of like strong beliefs 
that they instilled in you as a kid? So to be quite honest, neither of my parents both identify as Christian, but my dad didn't really attend uh, Sunday service on a consistent basis with us. And my mom stopped going. I I think the last time I remember her really being there was, I was probably third, fourth, fifth grade. So still in that elementary school mindset. After that, they still very much believe in the Christian faith, but they did not religiously attend church services with organized situations. I don't really recall other than, you know, in the Pentecostal church, we would do um, the the women of the church would come together and do a, a foot bath ceremony where they would wash the feet of other women in the church and they would congregate and just preach among themselves and, and really have that, that conversation about their, their religion and, and things that they're learning and things that they feel and that they believe. And I remember that happening on Wednesday nights and I would go occasionally Uh, with my grandmother, but that was never like a requirement. I very much, now when I was younger, it was a requirement to go with my family. We attended church and and we did the Sunday morning at minimum, occasionally Sunday night and a Wednesday night. Our Halloweens were spent in the church um, because that was not an acceptable holiday. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we would play games in the basement of the church, still getting candy, but not, I I don't think I went trick-or-treating until I was college officially. Oh my goodness. Wow. So I guess that would be the only thing that really kind of hit on, on things that we didn't celebrate or that we were very specific about. But as I got older, attending church was a choice. I wasn't forced to go. I could have stayed home. I think it, it, my parents wouldn't have been too happy that I stayed home, but I, they weren't forcing that to happen. But I enjoyed going. And I, I think at that point, when I got a little older, it was because I got to see my friends outside of school and And I still did enjoy church, right? That was a big piece, but it was also a a socialization point. I got to see people outside of the classroom or outside of PE type of thing. For sure. I feel like as a kid, it's like all about going to see those friends. You know, that's like the best part of of Sunday mornings is getting to go to the kids church and and just have fun. So as you as you got older, you know, how did when did you know that that you were different from the other kids? So I actually, um, I'm, I traveled this past weekend to, to see a friend in Cleveland and we went out to dinner with one of her friends and, and her new partner. And one of the questions was, when you were younger, did you ever kiss girls? And so I, I did. And that was something that happened. And I would say earliest was around third and fourth grade. And it was never really seen, like we did it in the privacy of like our bedrooms or it was never in public, but I never felt that it was off or that it was weird until about fifth grade. And and I'm not sure if there's a specific timeline of when the church starts to think it's acceptable to teach children about homosexuality and their views on homosexuality. But when that came into my Sunday school class, that was the moment that I realized that I was different. And according to my grandmother, who was teaching my Sunday school class, I was going to hell. And so that was the very defining moment. And as you know, in fifth grade, you're nine years old, nine, 10. And that's a very defining moment for a child to, to think about themselves in that way. And it it causes a a whole lot of battle with Mm self-identification and self-love. I just, it's been just until recently that I've even learned to love myself fully. So that would be for me probably right around the fifth grade. And it was at that point that, you know, the kissing the girls stopped because everybody learned about it and everybody was like whoa 
this yeah. is not okay. Yeah, it's it's such a traumatic thing to teach kids. I don't I don't feel like that kind of stuff. I don't think anything negative about God should be taught to children because children are so impressionable and like, you know, there there are things that happen to people as kids that they carry with them through their entire lives. Sometimes subconsciously, sometimes consciously. Mm-hmm. And I know what you mean because I, you know, I I grew up getting taught the same stuff and you know, it was very traumatic for me um, as a kid to to be taught these things. And I wasn't even kissing girls. I just had a fascination with women that I couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I, I can imagine what that was like for you. After this was starting to be passed around your church as a teaching, did you pretend to be straight? Did you pretend to like boys more than you actually did? Were you just kind of really confused about the whole thing? What did that look like for you? Um, I would say I was really confused, but I I did realize that in in self-preservation mode, you do what you think other people around you want in order to uh, fit in or or to just feel like you belong and that nothing bad is going to happen. So I dated a couple people in middle school, but it was, you know, the we walked around the football track holding hands and like would kiss occasionally. It was never anything too bad, but as you got to high school and, and I was very much um, a people pleaser. I didn't stand up for myself. I just kind of went with the flow and what other people were expecting or what I felt they expected. And, and so in high school, I allowed myself to get into several uncomfortable situations where I engaged in sexual activity with boys at my school just because I felt like that was what was supposed to be happening. And I remember one day I came home, I had gone to the movies with an older guy. Uh, His sister had taken us. He didn't have his license, but he, he was out of high school and I was a junior or senior at this point. And I remember in the back seat, he wanted to like pull his pants down and his sister was sitting in the front seat and I was so uncomfortable. And I came home with a hickey and my mom saw and, and she lost it. And so it was like one of those moments for me where, okay, you're mad that a guy gave me a hickey, but you would be mad if I was gay. And I'm just really confused on what's supposed to be done. Right. And so I, I really struggled to try to figure out what what I should be doing and, and shouldn't be doing. And that lasted all through, all through high school. It wasn't until college where I met people from outside of my area that had viewpoints that were different, that told me it was okay to be gay. It was okay that I liked girls and, and they helped me come to terms uh, with that. Yeah. So you, you obviously left your hometown then to go to college Mm -hmm. Um, before that. Was there any sort of experimenting with girls at all? Or did you um, just completely stop whenever, you know, when you, when you mentioned when you were nine and that was brought up in your Sunday school class? So there was a little in high school and, and I won't go into details as to out anyone, anyone else, but it was very, very innocent. It was never progressive sexually. It was more of, you know, holding hands or cuddling or, um, occasional kissing so it it never escalated past that point Mm -hmm. and uh you obviously kept that a secret from your everyone right everyone literally everyone so you didn't even tell any friends or anything Mm -mm. 
Got it. Got it. What were you afraid of? Like, what, what did you think was going to happen? What were your fears of your family and friends finding out that you were doing that, doing that kind of stuff with females instead of males? So I would, I would say the, the, the biggest one would have been, you know, that moment when I was younger that I, I was told I was going to hell, you know, as a homosexual, that that was hell bound, you know, strapped in first class. And I think that was always in the back of my mind. But I, other things that I'd heard friends and family say about homosexuality just in casual conversation made it very clear to me that I was not in a safe place, like that there were not safe people to have these conversations with. Yeah. And, and I think that was the biggest piece for me, just hearing, and, and I think that's what people don't understand. They post these comments on Facebook and they, they say things that are, are so mean and you never know who's around that you care about that's hearing you say this that no longer feels safe around you and I I think that's just a a big gap we have in society is is realizing that our words matter what we Mm -hmm. say words are very much a a tool to be used and and a lot of times they're they're used negatively absolutely what you what you say can can like make or break a person you know Mm -hmm. a lot of the time and, and like you said, you never know who's listening. You know, you, mm-hmm. you never know who needs those kind words. And whenever you see someone speaking negatively, you know, whether it be about um, an LGBT person or, you know, a person of color, you just never know how it's going to affect people. You know, I, I struggled with that too, with people like saying, saying things to me that, that still stick with me even to this day. And I'm, 28 years old, you know, I've been out for 10 years, but that, that little girl inside is still very much hurt by a lot of the things that, that I was taught growing up and a lot of the things that were said to me. And uh, sometimes you never even get the apology and you just kind of have to move on and, and try to push it to the back of your mind. So you went to college. Where'd you go to college? First of all, I went to the university of Charleston. And that's in Charleston, West Virginia. It was a smaller university, private university. So a a little bit of understanding my high school had 400 kids in it. It was about a hundred per grade. Very, very small. Yes. That Um, is so small. So a smaller university to me felt a little more comfortable, but the campus was small. It was easy to get around. Uh, I did, I did the dorms, you know, I did the whole freshman dorm living thing and um, it was actually a really good experience. I really enjoyed my time there. Cool. And uh, so during this time that you were kind of transitioning to college and the time that you were in college, did you stop going to church completely or were you still kind of dabbling in, in church and in your your sexuality? So my my parents were very, very strict. And so I did not have a car going to college. They would drive me up on Sunday evenings and they would come and pick me up on Friday evenings and I would be home for the weekend. So the university was only a couple hours from my house. So nothing, still leaving hometown, but but nothing too crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I would still attend church, at least Sunday school, um, but potentially a full church service on Sunday mornings before heading back. And that gave me time. A lot of my friends that were in the church were uh, a couple years younger than me. And so they were still in the area. And so that was our, our session. I, 
we used to do Sunday school and then there would be a 30 minute block between Sunday school and church. And we would all go sit in my car out, you know, in the parking lot and just talk about what was going on and, and what was happening in life. Okay. Got it. So then, you know, how old were you? Were you still in college? Um, whenever you finally came out? I was. So I, I came out the summer after my freshman year of college. My, my coming out story is not a great one. Um, I was in a relationship, my first same-sex relationship with someone I had met on, uh, I believe it was Facebook. And because of all of the issues from my childhood and my lack of self-love and self-care and, and generally just thinking poorly of myself that, that I was unlovable or, or that, you know, no one else would care about me. I stayed in a negative relationship for a while and I was given an ultimatum. Um, so it was kind of the, if you don't come out, you don't love me and I'm leaving you. Mm. Um, and by that point I had been so mentally just scarred that I, I thought that was true. And so I called my parents on the phone. My mom answered and I said, I'm gay. And her response was, I'm calling to report your car stolen. And then she hung up. And my dad called me back almost immediately. And you could hear my mom screaming in the background. And my dad said, what happened? Like, what is going on? And so I explained to him and he said, just come home. We'll figure it out. And so... I drove home, nothing was figured out other than very, very clearly, you will not live that lifestyle under my roof. And, you know, after everything I did for you, after all the things I still do for you, how could you do this to me? Mm. Um, if you wanted to hurt me, you could have done something else and, and just those types of, of things. And so I, I remember leaving a note for my parents and leaving in the middle of the night and I took the car and I drove back to Charleston and I, I got a, a summer room and board. I went and talked to the university and explained the situation and said, I just, I need a place to stay. And I stayed intermittently with my partner and her family, which was a few hours away. And then my aunt and uncle or my cousin actually allowed me to come and live with them to get ready for school to start in the fall. And so their concept was we don't talk about it you don't bring it here um, but you can sleep here and you can eat here like we'll give you shelter and so I I was thankful for that right that they at least gave Mm -hmm. me the basic necessities of life but when I returned to school um, I was still with that partner my family didn't talk to me you know they didn't they didn't say much to me at all my dad still talked to me behind my mom's back and she still doesn't know this to this day, Um, (laughs) but he would call and check on me just to make sure that I was okay. He sent me money a couple times, but I was that person that refused to ask for it unless I (laughs) absolutely needed something. Right. So I worked and I I did all of this and it was hard going as a, I think I, I was still 18 at that point. Actually I was 19 at this point, but not having a car, trying to find a job while going to school full-time and and it was very, very difficult without having support of, of the people who you thought would be there for you, no matter what, like through thick and thin, through everything under the sun, not having your support system anymore. Yeah, that's, that's the way it should be when you have a child, you know, you're not having a child with this like conditional attitude where like they have to fit into this box 
that you've created for them, you know, just, just like they're their own people, you know, your child should mm-hmm. all, should also be able to be their own person. Yeah. I, I way, can imagine that was really, really traumatic for you. Yeah. The way I look at it is if, if you're not prepared to raise a child that's going to develop their own thoughts and their own perceptions and their own ideas about things, then you don't need to have a child. They're exactly. not, they're not to be clones of you. That's not what's going to happen. Sometimes yeah. it is, sure, but if you're not okay that that they aren't a co- photocopy of you, then you should rethink your your idea of of time to become a parent. Yeah, like go get a dog or a cat or something. Like like please don't reproduce and and like please don't mess up your child's head because of the way that you are. That's how, that's what I think about it. <laughs> Sorry if that sounds insensitive to some of my listeners, but that's how I feel. <laughs> And we tell the truth around here. Honesty is the best policy. It definitely is. So for how many years did things continue this way between you and your parents? Um, so they, they stayed that way for a couple years. They, there got to be a point in my relationship that I'd had enough, that I felt unsafe and finally had the guts to leave. And I texted my aunt from work that day and I just said, you know, I'm I'm scared. I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. And she said, if you can get to your parents, you can come live with me. And she lived in Florida that year. I mean, she's lived there her, my whole life. Um, but she grew up with my mom, their best friends. Mm-hmm. And, and so I did the, I called the one person that I knew if I absolutely needed them, they would come. And that was my mom. I called and I said, listen, I feel unsafe and I need a, a way out. And she said, just so you know, you can't live that lifestyle under my roof. And I said, okay. And she came that day and picked me up and I left. I think I was home for a couple of days and then went to Florida and spent the summer with my aunt and came back for school in the fall. I had transferred schools at this point and uh, immediately moved out on my own. I moved into the dorms. And so from that point on, it was just never talked about. Still to this day, my parents don't, we don't talk about Taryn's dating life. We don't talk about Taryn's sexuality. We, it's just not mentioned. I think it's one of those things where they know, they just don't want to know. And, and I'm at the point where I have three young nephews that I know if there was damage to my relationship with my parents, that that would also damage my relationship with them because they live with my parents. And so I, I know that there would be and that's what's hard, you know, how, how long do you keep it to yourself or how long do you keep the peace? At what point is it, is it too much or is it too detrimental to your mental health um, for the sake of, of your young nieces or nephews or cousins that you really care about and want to be there for and, and be a role model for so that they know that, you know, things are okay. You know, there are things beyond Wayne County, West Virginia. And right. so- it's, it's still to this day. Now, I'm, I moved out West the second I graduated college. So I graduated in May. And by the beginning of June, I was in California. The first chance I got to leave, I was out. And that distance and that separation kind of helped my relationship with my mother. Only getting to see me two times a year didn't often feel like arguing or starting fights about the way I dress or the way I look. Um, seeing as we only got two weeks together. That was it. That was the extent Mm -hmm. of our time together and so it it helped us create 
a better relationship. Now we know it's not a fully honest relationship, but you know, there's no arguing, there's no screaming, there's no yelling. And so I live quite a bit closer to home now. I go home about once a month to see my nephews and and cousins and family, but things have still generally been about the same. You know, you just don't talk about it. You know, I wear the clothes that I wear. I, I dress the way that I want. I talk the way that I want. And it's just kind of an unspoken conversation. It's almost like they didn't let you come out. It's like, it's like you tried to come out and be your true self, but it's, there's still that, that wall is still very much there is what it sounds like. Like Mm -hmm. you're not allowed, you're not allowed to be 100% yourself. It has to be like, like 80 or, or 90. That's, Mm -hmm. is, is that, is that hard for you to, to deal with? Or are you kind of just at a point where you've accepted it or? No, I think, I think that it is difficult. Not to say that I haven't accepted it because I know that I have the power to change the situation, right? It's on me. It's not on anybody else to, to change this, but outside of it being hard on me, it's also hard in relationships because my partner isn't known to my family And that's been really hard on relationships in the past, especially with partners whose family are very welcoming and uh, inclusive. And and that's been a a difficult avenue to navigate um, in relationships. So I'm always upfront and and very honest when I meet someone and we've, you know, we've gone on a few dates and I've always been very honest that, you know, when family holidays come around and I go home, you will not be there. Even, even if I was my authentic self, they would not be, I would likely not be welcome, but they would definitely not be welcome. And I think that's, that's a little difficult to, to navigate as myself as well, because you, you miss out celebrating holidays with your partner if you want to be at home with your family. So it's almost like, what choice do you make? Like what, mm-hmm. you know, where do you go and when? Yeah. And I know a lot of people that have to, that literally have to make that decision. Like, do I go and spend this time with my family who doesn't accept or love this part of me versus all of me? Or do I spend this time with, with this partner that I love and I care about? And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've, I've been there myself. It's been a long time since I've been in that, in that position, but I've been there and I still know people now that, that have to make that decision. And I think it's just, just so unnecessary, mm-hmm. you know, there's just this, I, I don't really understand where this, where this stigma even came from, or like how this, this part of the Bible was mistranslated the way that it was even to this day. Right. Um, th- thankfully, it seems like we're kind of on the path to getting out of that and, and helping people unlearn um, that teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Bible does not say what people think that it says about homosexuality. And I, I logically know that, but even now as an openly gay Christian, I still have that, that trauma, that deeply rooted religious trauma inside that I constantly have to work through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, you see a day where your where your family is accepting and, uh, you don't have to choose. I really, I really hate that for you. Yeah. And, and maybe one day it'll be there. I, but I am a very, my glass is as full as it is type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no expectation of, of that changing just because it's been, you know, 11 years 
because they're they're still making those same comments about homosexuality, about the trans community, about you know all of these different things, and and I already know what the outcome will be. So I I, I understand what the situation is, and I, I guess it just depends on right. I get to determine when I've had enough and and yeah. when I'm tired. So it's been a little easier because I live far away, and so I don't have to deal with that very much. But you know that that is for me to determine. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that my original coming out was taken from me, right? I didn't get to choose the time or the place. And, and now I feel like I, I'm tiptoeing around it because, you know, it, it's one of those, like, I get to choose and I get to decide when this happens. And, you know, nobody can take that from me. And so I almost justify not doing it because I've felt pressure that doesn't exist, but I've made mm-hmm. it up in my head just so that I can take my story back. And so, you know, I'm, I'm coming more to terms with it and, and where I want to be and, and how I see myself. And I think that's the biggest step. I've done my therapy. I still do therapy, but I'm growing every single day to love myself a little bit more. And I think that eventually I'll love myself enough to say I'm tired of hiding even mm-hmm. just a portion of who I am. Um, if you can't love me for all of me then that's on you. And that's a choice that you've made. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel sorry for it. Good. Yeah, I, I do. I really do hope that you come to come to that place one day. What do you what do you think that because you mentioned that your parents really didn't have a set set of like, uh, practices or beliefs. So where do you think that what what sounds to me like true hatred of LGBTQ people came from? Like, where do, where do you think that that comes from, especially from your mom? You know, uh, To be quite honest, I still think it's the Christian faith because despite her not having a set of rules or, or anything, she still very much quotes the Bible and quotes mm-hmm. the Christianity and, and what is supposed to be based on, you know, nothing but the King James version of the Bible. And, mm-hmm. and so... Uh, I, I still very much think that plays a role despite how inactive she may have been in the church. And I think the area where we grew up also plays a role. It's Southern West Virginia. It is very much the Bible Belt. You know, people have believed this way for years. And I, I think that just plays a huge role in how other people perceive. So I think about myself and my brother. We were raised by the same parents. We were raised in the same household. A little different because he was a boy, I was a girl, and, you know, I can get pregnant, so don't let Taryn out of the house. (laughs) And, but we are so very different, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I left. I got out of that area, and I got to see life and, and the world from the perspectives of other people, people that are different from me and had different life experiences, and I think that plays a big role in it. Yeah, I'm sure that it does. So your your brother still still lives there. Like he yeah, he has they never live, no has out. never has never gone anywhere. He did work uh, for different companies that did travel work, but it was always like a week in a hotel and he was right back. And so they they live the way that my family went. They moved in with my grandparents when they uh, had me. I was a surprise, and then they bought a trailer. And they moved in behind my grandparents and then they built a house and they moved us into the house. So my brother's process has been, he and his girlfriend got pregnant fairly quickly, his wife now. Um, they moved in with my parents and then they bought a trailer and sat it in the exact same location that ours was. 
And now my parents, because the, the house that they have is it's quite too large for just my mom and my dad, and especially uh, my dad has had multiple knee, tr- knee surgeries and he can't climb the stairs. So mm-hmm. my parents are going to build a smaller single floor. And so now my brother, his wife and their three children have moved in at our childhood home. And so it's just kind of like that. That's where he's comfortable and that's where he feels safe and secure. And it's crazy to think, you know, two people that were raised the same in the same area and some place that is home for someone else feels so damaging and traumatic to another. And, and and that's just what's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, it's like, there, there's just such a big world out there to see and mm-hmm. people who don't pull themselves out of that, like sheltered space, like they never really get to experience what I believe is like real, real life. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're in this box their entire lives. And I, I just don't understand how people do it. Like people who, people who grew up in the same town and like live there their entire lives and raise their kids there. I'm like, no, like, you can keep that. Like I'm I'm going to I'm going to branch out and I'm going to like do different things with my life. It's crazy to me how like sometimes that's even looked at, looked down on as well. It's like, you know, why would you leave home? Like like home is what you make it. Home is right. not where you grew up and like, you know, it it's just it's just not it's right. not home. That's not and, home to me. Yeah, and I I think the the big piece is if you typically not all the time I don't think you can say always but most of the people who stay and they raise their families there are people who didn't experience traumatic things as like they were straight they were white and and that's the area that they were fit perfectly they fit the mold of you know Christian and you know they never felt like that wasn't a safe place for them so of course they wanted to stay now I'm not saying that leaving wasn't scary because as as a person who grew up in a, a state with 1.8 million people and moving to a city of 1.8 million people, that was a shock. Uh-huh. Um, I, I was nervous. I was anxious. I thought, I, what happens if I don't make it, right? What if I have to move back and I've failed? And it was just such a big worry, but it was honestly the greatest thing, the, the best decision I've ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. Cause at least, you know, that you tried, like, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of my mindset. I've, I've moved away from home twice now and moving to Savannah, Georgia, the first time I was only about three and a half hours from home, but I, I was very much like scared and nervous, but I was also scared and nervous to stay where I was. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, well, you know, I might as well try, let me yeah. try this. And if it doesn't work out, like, at least I know that I tried and you know, I ended up moving back a couple years later, but then I moved to Nashville, which is where I am now. And um, it's it's definitely the second best thing I've ever done for myself. The first was getting sober, mm-hmm. but you know, moving to Nashville was was the the best decision I could have made for myself at the time. And I hate to think of where I would be now if I did not step out on faith and make that decision to move here. And speaking of faith and you kind of, you know, navigating this treacherous path with your family and coming out. How did religion and Christianity evolve for you throughout this time? And, you know, where, where do you feel like you're at with it now, personally? Loaded questions. I love them. When I came out, you know, my family wasn't the only one to disown me. The church that I had chosen to attend 
starting in middle school, preached my name in a sermon about homosexuality and how I was choosing to walk the path of sin and the life of homosexuality. And, and I think that was like, as much as like my, my parents not accepting me, that was the first hatred with an audience in a place that is supposed to be loving and accepting of, of people and, and people that, that basically watched me grow up. They watched me evolve into an adult. So I define 18 as very, very slim adult, right? <laughs> Still couldn't survive on your own at that point in my life. Uh-huh. But I think that that moment when I got a call from one of my, my best friends to tell me about this, I, I knew at that point that religion was never going to be the same for me. So the pastor, the pastor actually said my name, your name in the sermon to the entire congregation. Oh my God, that is horrifying. Yep. So I have never consist from that point, I've never consistently been in organized religion. So a few of my friends and I found a, a welcoming church in Huntington while we were attending university at Marshall. And while they were very accepting, the, the pastor was a gay man. There were other queer people in the congregation and, and it, it was welcoming. I had a bad taste in my mouth from um, organized sure. religion. And so I've never, I've, I don't go to church, but I talk to God every day. So the way I define my relationship with God now is that I'm spiritual and not religious. I don't think I need to go sit in a church on Sunday mornings in order to have a relationship with God. I do that on my own. And, and to me, that's what feels best, right? I get to define my relationship. I get to define how it looks and, and what it entails. And, you know, that church was just very much, I drive by it when I'm home sometimes, and it's just that gut it just oh. sink and, and I get sweaty and nervous and, and it almost feels like they still have some type of, of hold on me, even though none of the people that were there when I went to church are still there. <laughs> they, they've all dispersed to other locations. But to me, it's, it's like that, that was the defining moment for me in, in terms of my relationship with religion. And so I, I say that I'm spiritual, not religious. And I think that that's okay, right? I don't think that you have to attend a church religiously in order to have a relationship with God. But I I know that I can talk to him any day of the week at any time and feel better. You know, it's, you just, you have a, it's almost like I just sit down and I'm talking to you right now is how I, how I talk with him. And that's, that's what it's all about is, is the spirituality and the relationship. I feel like churches, so many churches, not all, I won't, I won't say all churches, but the majority of, of church today and organized religion is all about the practices and checking the boxes, you know, like I'm going to check the box for going on Sunday mornings. I'm going to check the box for, you know, tithing. I'm going to check the box for serving so I can be like a good little Christian. Right. But Mm -hmm. that's not what, what church should be about. And that's not what religion should be about. And I bet that that pastor has no idea what kind of negative impact that made on you. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure, I'm sure that it made a negative impact on at least one other person in that congregation too. But that is just, I can't even get past the fact that someone would do that. Like that Mm -hmm. is, 
That is horrifying. And like, no wonder you have so many reservations about, about going into a church. I would too, if I were you. And, but, but it's like, you kind of have it, you kind of have it figured out now because of the things that happened to you, like what a relationship with God is all about. Like you have that connection that it sounds like you never even had when you were raised in church. It was Mm -hmm. all about checking those boxes and like, what do I need to do to be a good person or to be Mm -hmm. a good Christian? But that is not at all what God even wants for us. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I really feel like you know, you're, you sound like you're in a much better place with God today than you ever, ever were before in the past. Right. And I'm really glad that you were able to, to get there. You know, I'm mm-hmm. glad that, I'm glad that you're still here and that, because I, I mean, so many people, so many LGBTQ people go through life hating God and, and hating religion as a whole, like as a whole, and just there's so much hatred in their heart for it because that's what they were shown from church and from God, and I put that in quotation marks for my listeners that can't see my, my video, because God does not hate, and God does not condemn, and God does not, God is not all of those things that, that we were taught as, you know, little, what I like to call little gabies, you know, little, little baby gays, like that's, that's not at all what, um, what God is and who God is. You know, for me, it's very much the same, like I'm very, very, very selective about the churches I will go to today and like the denominations that I'll, that I'll even like dabble in. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times I don't go to church because I just feel like there's this very like deep lingering, uncomfortable, unsettling feeling like Mm -hmm. deep inside. And yeah, it's, it's my responsibility to like seek help for that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, this is what people have done to me. Like, Mm -hmm. and this is what, people made me what people made me think about about church and about God and for for myself like as a gay Christian I just think it's so important to like tell these kind of stories because some people have this idea in their head of of God and it's completely tainted because of other people being imperfect and and saying imperfect things and teaching imperfect things and I'm just really glad that you are in the place that you're in today that you're able to to be happy with yourself and love yourself, but it's, you know, it's still a work in progress. Like we're never right. going to be, we're never going to be fully a hundred percent where we want to be, but we have to, you know, we have to try. It's all about the progress and not the perfection. Absolutely. Just wrapping up this episode, what are some of the things you would tell people who want to come out, but feel like they can't? I think the best piece of advice is that, it's on your time. Don't feel like you're any less of a person because you're not coming out. If you are in an unsafe place or, or surrounded by people who you think that your life or your ability to survive would be in danger, it's okay. There will be a time. I, I always tell people that if you decide to come out and, and your family doesn't love you, well, then I'm your family now. And you know, you can come to any family holiday and and we'll kick it and celebrate and have a good time. But I think in a perfect world that that's the answer, but we don't live in a perfect world. We live where young LGBTQ plus people are not somewhere where they can safely Mm -hmm. express their, their full authentic selves. And I think it's an important thing is that they know it's okay. 
National Coming Out Day is a, is a very good thing to celebrate. And I think it's a, a wonderful time for people to share their stories. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's almost romanticized with the positive coming out stories, the ones where the families are supportive and, oh, we knew that already and we love you no matter what. But there are kids who don't get that. Their, yeah. their stories are not fun and they're not great. And sometimes it's the a major shift in their life from having shelter or food or consistency into being homeless and, and, you know, struggling to survive from day to day. And I think that's a, a big blind spot that even you know, many people in the LGBTQ plus community have is that there are people who don't have it as easy or as great as others. And that if they're not ready to come out, it doesn't make them any less of a queer person. It, it just means that it's not their time. Yeah, that is, that is great advice. You know, make sure that you're safe first and foremost. And if you're not, either wait until you are or, or try to create that safe space yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something else that you can do. And you're definitely not less of a person or less of an LGBTQ member of society just because you're not out. You're still valid. And most of all, you are very loved, yeah. even if you don't feel like you are. Exactly. And I guess that would be the, the second piece there, right? I, I allowed someone else to make me feel like I wasn't worthy of, of love. Everybody's worthy of love. There's not a single person who doesn't deserve to feel love from another human being. And I guess the the last piece of advice I would have is don't let anybody take your coming out story away from you because you'll, mm-hmm. you'll regret it and you'll question it from that day on. You yes. get to be the author of your story, not, a, not anyone else. Preach, preach. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was incredible. Um, well, thank you for having me. I, I've listened to your show. You know, we talked about it when we first met that you used to do this and I thought it was awesome. And it's a, it's a really good way to, to put this out there, right. Defining LGBTQ plus relationships with, with religion or or the relationship they don't have Mm -hmm. post coming out in, in that environment and how we navigate that. And I think that's a very important conversation to have. I do too, for sure. And the, the idea just kind of came to me one day when I was listening to another podcast and I can't, remember what it was at this point um but it was someone that had grown up mormon and uh they were telling their story about how they were raised in this very strong religion and you know realized they were gay and and how things changed for them and i I remember driving in the car somewhere and, and listening to this and i was like wow like this would be a great podcast like interviewing people that that have struggled with this or or overcome this and I honestly didn't expect for a lot of people to be interested in being on the show, but thankfully I have a long list of people that are interested in telling their stories. So I hope that I can keep it going for a while and I am really, really glad to be back at it. Um, Yes. I'm I'm excited to listen to all the episodes. So, well, thank you again. And uh, I'm sure that we will talk soon.